Alright, I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2, the last two verses. That's verse 28 and verse 29 from 1 John chapter 2. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Let's pray. Our gracious Holy Father, we want to thank You and praise You for Your Son. Thank You that we can abide in Him because of what He accomplished on the cross. There He died to forgive our sins, to bring us to You, Father. But He also conquered death by rising from the dead. That according to the Scriptures, on the third day He rose again to conquer death and the grave. And now He's seated next to You, Father, where He intercedes and prays for us. But thank You, Father, that the Scriptures are there to always encourage us. They're there to strengthen us. And then they're also to, to help us to to make sure we are walking the narrow road, that we are abiding in Christ and that we are practicing righteousness, which shows that we are born again, that we know you. So Father, please be merciful to me, be merciful to all of us as we listen to your word, as your word convicts us of sin, if it rebukes us, if it teaches us and trains us in righteousness. May it do a great work in our hearts so that when Christ does return, we will have confidence before Him and not shrink from Him in shame. So Father, help me now and help us all to hear Your Word. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I'm going to continue with confidence before Jesus. Like I said last week, the biggest and the most amazing event in the world history is going to be the return of Jesus Christ. And how do we know that? Well, we know when Paul was writing to, to um, or, or basically Luke was writing in the book of Acts, and um, Paul also said this um, when he was speaking to the, um, the folk in, in, in Areopagus. He said to them, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. And we know that man. We believe and put our faith and trust in that man, Jesus Christ. And it's been appointed for him to return to judge the world in righteousness. So he's going to return sometime soon. Do we know when? No. So there's people that try and fix a date and try to work out dates that actually are being foolish. Like someone says, anyone who claims to know specifically when Jesus is coming back is to be considered wrong. There will be signs. But still, we don't know. Like I said, do you know when the thief's going to break into your home? No. You don't know when a thief will break into your home. So you must be ready 
for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus will come. But will we be ready? Will we be ready? And will we stand with confidence before Him? Will we have the confidence before Jesus at His coming? When He appears to judge the world in righteous judgment. Will we have confidence before Him? I say this, and I say this very carefully. Jesus is not your buddy. He's our friend. But remember, with respect, He is the Son of God, the Creator God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ. It's not a buddy that, oh, you know what, I know Him, He's just going to accept my current situation. No, no. We need to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And when He comes in glory, will we recognize Him? Because He has told us, or John has told us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, Behold, He is coming with the clouds, just like He left with the clouds. He's going to return with the clouds, and every eye will see Him. Every eye. Even those who pierced Him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. Even so. Amen. So there's no hiding. There's no escape. In the book of Revelation, they talk of people that try to hide away from Him. You know what they're hiding from? His presence. Because He's the all-glory, almighty God. They're hiding from His presence. It's righteous and just and holy. Holy, holy, holy. Are you the Lord God Almighty? And when Isaiah stood in his presence, he just said, Whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips, living amongst the people of unclean lips. Because when we stand before Jesus, we're going to know who we really are. Sinners. Either saved by his grace, or sinners not saved by his grace. So there is a time when Jesus is going to return. And we need to be ready we need to focus on the heavenly things and focus less on the earthly things. We can enjoy the earthly things, but they cannot save us. They cannot help us. They're there for us to survive and live and share with the people on earth. But we need to keep living in godly fellowship with God and we need to keep going to the scriptures to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when He appears, we will have confidence before Him at His coming, at His appearance. So before we look at our second truth, we looked at one truth last week, last Sunday. I want to recap that truth again. And the truths were there, these two truths, that, or we looked at the one and then we looked at the second one this morning, they're there to prepare us to have confidence before Jesus at His appearance. So let me quickly remind us of our first truth that we saw in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And that first truth to prepare us to have confidence before Jesus at His appearance is to abide in Him. Verse 28 reads, And now little children abide in Him, so that when He appears we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. Now when God saves us, 
When we are crucified with Christ, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. We're abiding Christ. We're abiding Jesus. But it's not a once-off. We continue to abide in Jesus as we walk with God in this world. And to abide in Jesus means we are going to abide in His Word. He's the truth and His Word is the truth. And if we're in Jesus, we need to love Him and His Word. We cannot love Jesus and not love His Word. His Word is there to, to grow us. And we will see that when we get to our second point. But we need to know that if, 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 if we keep His commandments, you will abide in my love. So if you keep His Word and you're in His Word, you're abiding in Jesus and you will abide in His love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Again, you go to the Gospels and you see how Jesus honoured and was obedient to His Father's will. And that's how we learn. We learn to be obedient to Jesus' teachings. So we can do His will, God's will. So we should be feeding off God's Word daily. His promises, His truths, His encouragements, His warnings and His commandments. And if we're doing this, then we are abiding in Jesus. And what's the purpose for abiding in Jesus? Well, He told us. So that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. According to verse 28. So there's the purpose to abide in Jesus and to continue abiding in Him. And the fact that Jesus may return at any moment should keep us on our toes. It should keep us in fellowship with God and His Word, in fellowship with His church and His people. So that when He returns, we will have confidence before Him. But if we are treating God's Word loosely and we are not in His Word and we, and we just do as we please and live as we please, then we are going to be ashamed and embarrassed and shrink back when He appears. We can come here on a Sunday and we can masquerade as great, mature, godly people. But what does God see? Because He sees through all our hypocrisy. Obviously we sin. And we can ask God to forgive us. But if we practice sin, there's something wrong with our walk with God. We're not abiding in Jesus. Because Jesus has given us His Spirit. And His Spirit is there to sanctify us and cleanse us through the Scriptures. So that we keep on abiding in Jesus as we walk with God in this world. I think a good reality check is to see if we are truly abiding in Jesus is how much we respect and honour God Himself. Do we wake up in the morning and, 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 and have a quiet time with God, praying to God? And then do we open up His Word? What is our respect like before His his word, I think Isaiah um, helps us. If I can find the verse in chapter 60, I think it's chapter 66. 
This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Do we come here in the mornings with fear and trepidation? Do we come here to respect the church which is Christ's body? And if we are coming and, and, and with respect and we embrace these, these things, God's, God Himself, God's Word, God's church that He's given to us through Jesus Christ, it was His blood that was shed. He gave Himself up for the church. And if we embrace these truths and they are dear to our hearts, then we are abiding in Christ. But there's forms of weaknesses. Some of us do it more pure and some people do it less pure. I'm talking about if you don't do it at all. Because remember John is writing to, to the church and to shrub false teachers. And he's saying these false teachers, they are teaching falsely because they do not abide in Jesus. And because they don't abide in Jesus, they're not going to have confidence before Him when He returns. And they're going to shrink back. So don't believe them. Don't agree with them. You abide in Jesus. You hold on to His truth. You walk in truth. You walk in the light. You love the Father. Because remember, we've already looked at a few contrasts. Loving the Father, not the world. Loving Jesus. Loving your neighbor, not hating your neighbor. Walking in light, not walking in darkness. So he's already showing these things up because this is what these false teachers are teaching them. So maybe you've got some friends out there and they speak some weird things about Christianity but they say they love Jesus but they, 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 what they teach doesn't, doesn't flow with Scripture. It doesn't, doesn't actually contradict. Then they're not abiding in Christ. And when he returns, they will not have confidence and they will shrink back in shame at his return. And that's the point of verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2. It's that if we remain in Jesus, we abide in Jesus and his word, we follow his teachings, we follow the Holy Spirit as he transforms us and sanctifies us, then we will have confidence before Jesus and we will not shrink back. Or be ashamed when he returns. But he doesn't stop there. John, in his second truth, wants to prepare us to have confidence before Jesus at his appearance. So he continues. He encourages us to practice righteousness. Because these false teachers were not practicing righteousness. They were practicing unrighteousness. They were walking in the dark. They were hating their neighbor. And they were loving the world. So our second truth is, is such a valuable, important truth to, to prepare us to have confidence before Jesus. And that is, we must practice righteousness. Which we see in verse 29 of 1 John chapter 2. Verse 29 reads, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And who is the one that is righteous? Jesus Christ. Through his obedience, through his 
obedience through suffering, he fulfilled all righteousness perfectly. Perfectly. And he is the righteous man. He became righteousness or righteous for us through his death. If he wasn't the righteous one, he would never have rose from the grave, according to the scriptures. That proves that he is the righteous one. And if you know that he is righteous, then you should practice righteousness. Why? Because he produces righteous ones through salvation. So by one man's obedience, that is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Because when you are saved and you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, His righteousness is imputed to you, and you are clothed in Christ's righteousness, and your sins are imputed to Him. And now we have to practice righteousness. He saves us so He can produce a righteousness in us. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death, that's your salvation, to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And the righteous shall live by faith. Faith in you, in Christ Jesus, the righteous one. And we practice righteousness. There's no other way. We can't believe and live an unrighteous life and practice darkness and practice sin and, and do as we please. Paul, writing to the church of Corinth, he, he, he says to, to them in, in chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. So therefore... If you've been washed and sanctified and justified, if you've been made righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot practice unrighteousness. You were once like them, but now you are a righteous person. You are declared right before God, and now you live a righteous life. John tells us in his letter that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. They will not practice sin because God's seed abides in them and they cannot keep on sinning because they have been born of God. When I, when I was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 9 to 11, I don't know, but it's amazing. This church was full of sinners. Aren't we sinners? Why aren't we seen today and, and I'm, not, I'm not pointing finger, I'm just asking myself the same question. Why aren't we seeing the same type of people coming to salvation in Christ and coming to the church? Some of you were homosexual, some of you were adulterers, some of you were drunkards. Some of you were greedy. 
How come we're not seeing these type of people? Do you know why? Because we don't associate with these type of people. We turn our back on them. We snub them. Because we have a self-righteous. These are the people that were in the church of Corinth. It's amazing. We're looking for righteous people to be saved. Just like the Pharisees. Why don't we see such people being saved? Because we're not going out there and rubbing shoulders with them. And sharing the gospel in love with them. It's, 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 instead, and not all churches are like this, and I thank the Lord for that, for this. But there are churches that stand and they label these people. Let God judge those who are outside the church. Let us judge who are in the church. And we need to look after each other. And we need to, need to bring each other's sins to the, to the forefront. If we are caught up in these sins. But let us take the gospel of Christ so they too can come to the blessings of Christ and be clothed in His righteousness and turn from unrighteousness to righteous living. And don't give up on people. It could take time, years, before someone in the, the context that I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11 to 11, comes to a saving knowledge of Christ. Let's not give up. But let us, we who have been washed and sanctified and justified and made righteous in the blood and in the name of the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, let us continue to practice righteousness. Let us, let us be that light, that light that Christ has given us to shine His light, its borrowed light, into this world. Let us know that we have been saved. We are a new creation. And we've been saved and made into a new creation through the work of the Holy Spirit. To walk in newness of life. To no longer be enslaved to sin. We have been set free from sin. And now we practice righteousness as slaves to God. And if you want to see what a righteous life looks like in practice, open up God's Word and read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. There's the Beatitudes, and then it flows into the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus there teaches us how to live and practice righteousness, which the Pharisees were not doing. They were rulers. They were lording it over the people. Jesus said to them, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. They were just telling people what to do and they were not practicing the things themselves, especially where it counts, in the heart. We'll just look at one or two just to get the idea of practicing righteousness. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. But the Pharisees were cool. They weren't murdering anybody. 
but they were getting angry with the people, they were losing it with the people, they were calling them names, but they had made up their own theology. They said, that's fine, but if you murder someone, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is what I'm going to tell you. The same thing they were teaching the people. You have heard that what it, sorry, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's what the Pharisees were teaching. Because they hated people, so that had to flow with their theology. But Jesus says, No, no, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Not the Pharisees. Are we praying for our enemy? Are we praying for those that persecute us? Are we praying for those that slander and gossip about us? Are we praying for the unlovely, the stranger, the enemy? Because that's what Jesus is telling us. And this is how you practice a righteousness that shows that you are born again. And yes, it's hard. It'll be very hard. And we need to understand that if you are a family man and someone murders one of your children, to pray for that murderer. Let's be, let's be honest, it's going to be hard. But within time, you have to come to terms with what God's Word says and submit to the teachings of Jesus. And eventually you've got to come to terms of forgiveness, forgiving that person. Because it's not what I want and what I say. I would want vengeance, to be honest with you. But that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says, love your enemy, pray for your enemy, forgive your enemy. So if we struggle with people saying negative things about us, how are we going to deal with these bigger things? It's because we're not practicing righteousness in the true form that Jesus has taught us in the Scriptures, which starts in the heart. We're so careful at looking after the externals and, and, and what's it, dotting our I's and crossing our T's and making sure that we do everything right externally. We neglect to minister to the eye of our heart, the inner man, and strengthen our heart. So when these things happen, we can practice our righteousness before God. And that's why we need His grace. That's why we need to be patient and loving and helping one another. Because this is not easy. We live in a fallen world and we taint it with sin. And we would rather vengeance than love. But we are called to love. And if we practice righteousness towards Jesus Christ, then our hearts will be committed to Him and His Word. If we practice righteousness towards our neighbor, then we will love our neighbor and we will treat them the way God in Christ has treated us. And if we practice a righteousness towards ourselves, then we will live a, a sincere and genuine life before Jesus Christ, hating all form of sins and hypocrisy. Again, not going to be easy. We've made Christianity in something pie in the sky, something fluffy. Christianity is hard, guys. It goes against the grain what we used to live in. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to teach us how to love and how to sometimes swim upstream against what culture is throwing at us. But we do, we just go with culture and we, we become tolerant and we just say, yes, we pat everybody on the back and yeah, that's okay. God loves everybody. Doesn't matter how we live, everybody's going to go to heaven. I think the biggest threat to our churches today, the Reformed churches, the Evangelical churches, the churches that are sincere and genuine to God's Word, are the liberal churches. 
that have succumbed to the culture. Same-sex marriage. Transgender. Etc. We need to stand up and fight the good fight. And we can, the only way we can do that is if we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and we practice His righteousness before the fallen world. And we need to abide in God's Word. We need to be in God's Word so the Holy Spirit can, can help us, can put to death the deeds of the flesh and help us. How can we say we are born again Christians and not practice righteousness? How can we profess to be a Christian and not be a doer of God's Word? It would be interesting to, interesting to see how James sees the churches today. Because he, it's amazing, his letter, he, he helps us to practice righteousness in an external way and in an internal way as well. And I think we so focus on the external way, which we get it wrong as well, and we neglect the eternal way. And I'll, I'll show you what the external way is first. James tells us, faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Stop patting people on the back. Stop telling people I'll pray for you when they tell you their circumstances. See if you can get involved. See if you can give something. They're not asking for your house and for your car and for your bank balance. They're just asking for something in need. It could be a 10 rand year, a 20 rand year, a loaf of bread, whatever. And I'm talking to people in the church, not people out there that are begging because we're just adding to the problem. And then, then James helps us in an internal way so that we can transform and grow in Christ-likeness. James says in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. That's the, 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 the most beautiful teaching we can get from John Colvin. Is he says there's two things, and he starts his institute with two of these things. He's first knowing God and knowing yourself. If you're in God's Word and you're getting to know God, you get to know yourself. You get to know who you really are. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you will do something about what's going on in your heart, your sins, your weaknesses, your whatever God is pointing out to you through His Word. So if you are a person that gets angry, do something about it. If you're a person that is impatient, do something about it. Don't look at it and, oh, no, I'm cool, I'm okay, when you look at yourself in the mirror. Let God's Word change you. Me as well. Again, this is hard. We need God's grace. We need, we need to pray for each other. We need to be a little bit um, intimate in sharing some of our weaknesses and helping each other. Because when Christ appears, 
we want to have confidence before Him. We don't want to be a fake and keep going around and everything's cool, happy, clappy Christian, where everything's not cool because it's what's going on in your heart. And I say this, I say this in love and sensitivity, but there's a lot of people that go to church and they get caught up in the music and the feelings and the, and the sensualism and the experience and, and everything. But when they go home, they just are so still sad and, and, and unhappy and despondent and discouraged because what they did in church is a spasm that only lasts for a few hours and then it fades. But if we can allow God's word to take root in our hearts, it can help our sadness and it can remain a little bit longer in helping us through the difficulties of, of life. We need to encourage each other to be in God's word, to allow God's word to change us so we can practice righteousness, so that we can show that we are born again. That's what James would say. You want to show me you're born again, Mark? You be a doer of God's word. That's all I want to see. And if I see that, you're born again. But then you can say to me, Mark, there are some people out there that are doers of God's word. But they're not born again. You know why? Because they're not doing it in love. They're doing it to impress people. So we can't, we can't get away from, from hiding from God. He's going to see everything. Everything is going to be laid naked and bared before Him. You cannot say, but this or but that, when He appears. He's going to see, are you doing it for the love of my Son and for the glory of my name? Or are you doing it to impress and to show people what kind of a person you are before them, but not before me? So these two truths that we've looked at this morning to prepare us to have confidence before Jesus and the one is to abide in Jesus, and the second one is to practice righteousness, will we be challenged by these two truths? To submit to Jesus and His teachings, to be obedient to Jesus and His teachings, and be faithful to them. And we hear this over and over. Jesus died on the cross, yes, to forgive our sins, but to bring us to His Father, so that we, in return, can practice righteousness. And if we are practicing righteousness, and if, well, if we are practicing righteousness, then it shows that we are abiding in Him. And when Christ returns, and when Jesus returns, we will have confidence before Him. And we will not shrink from Him in shame when we hear these words from Him. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. These Christians will have confidence before Jesus. Let's pray. Father, please forgive us. Please help us to examine our hearts this morning to see if we are practicing righteousness sincerely and genuinely before you. You know our hearts, Father. We cannot hide anything from you. We can say one thing, but you see and hear and know a different thing. So, Father, please forgive us and give us the wisdom to abide in your Son, Jesus, and to practice a righteousness, his righteousness, that, he's, that has been imputed to us, given to us through his blood being shed on the cross. 
And if we're doing these things, Father, we show that we know you, that we are born of you. Help us, Father. Help us to live godly lives. Help us to, to take our eyes off the earthly things and fix them on the heavenly things, to fix them on you. Forgive us, Father, when we do sin and help us to work together so we can encourage and we can motivate and, and, and use Scripture to convict and to rebuke and to train and to correct and to train us in righteousness so that we can have confidence before Jesus when He returns. So, Father, please help us to be true children of God, practicing righteousness as we walk in this world with You. Pray and ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.